Well, it's been a few weeks, uh, and if you were not here the last time I was up here, I suggested that we picture the book of Ephesians as if it were a great big mural. And when David preaches, we lean in really close to study and appreciate all of the critical and intricate details of the words and the phrases, the meaning and the mechanics of the passage. But when I appear every few weeks, we intentionally step back so that we don't lose sight of the beautiful bigger picture. In this specific case, we're stepping back to make sure that we don't do what so many people do when they come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. They make the mistake of believing that it's all about marriage, but it actually isn't. I mean, certainly we see in there um, what marriage is to look like biblically, but ultimately, and most importantly, it's all about imitating God, walking in love, and being filled with the Spirit that we might be united in Christ for God's glory alone. And we've learned all throughout the book of Ephesians that unity is the central focus of God's master plan set in place before the foundation of the world. Marriage is a picture of how God is uniting all things in Christ through the church. So hopefully this whole passage has become very familiar to us, maybe so much so that we might be able to begin saying it by memory, which is really, really good. We want God's word to be rooted in our hearts. So once again, let's listen in such a way as to allow it to dwell in us richly. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." This is God's design. Whether we agree with it or not, my son is an airplane mechanic, and he doesn't get to decide that he doesn't think the wing design is any good or that the landing gear, or the way the landing gear works, right? Uh, we all want him to follow the plane's design to a T so that it stays in the air when it's supposed to be in the air and then it lands correctly when they need to land. Imagine a builder who is given a set of blueprints to build your house, but he tries to convince you that his more fluid interpretation of measurements and straight edging is better. I, I guarantee that you'll be finding yourself another builder. Ephesians 5 lays out God's design for Christian marriage. When we alter it in any way, we're simply headed for disaster. So to follow this analogy through, my son didn't just waltz into an airport one day because he wanted to fix airplanes. No, he had to get an education, right? He had to, to give himself to learning the grand design of it all, as well as the purpose for every unique working part. 
And whether he agreed with it or not, he had to submit to that design, right? Somebody way smarter than him had already figured it all out, and now he's just following the instructions. The same goes for the builder. And the same goes for anyone who wants to undertake this thing called marriage. We are fools to rush into it ignorantly or too quickly. We need to come to it fully aware of the fact that we're not the ones who designed it. We're not the ones who somehow innately know what it is or how to walk it out in the way that it was intended to be. But that's not how marriage typically goes down, is it? Typically, two people meet. They fall madly in love with each other. They believe that theirs is a match made in heaven. And as soon as they tie the knot, they'll live happily ever after. They pour tons of time and energy and often obscene amounts of money into one single wedding day, only to wake up the next morning with bad breath and bad hair. Or bad head, bad head, right? Um, and look, welcome to the rest of your life. I'm not trying to like poo-poo marriage, I promise. I'm just observing reality. Far too many marriages are built on fairy tale dreams rather than on biblical truth. Once the glitter and the glamour way off or wear off, far too many couples find themselves disillusioned and disappointed. Eventually they fall out of love, whatever that means, and they quit. They give up because it's it's just too hard. Far too many people don't have a clue. What marriage really is, we don't know God's design and therefore we don't live according to it. Is it any wonder? I mean, seriously, is it any wonder why so many of them are a miserable mess? The truth is, marriage is hard. Because when sinners marry sinners, it's going to get really messy. And then you throw in some sinful kids and it's a wonder any of us make it out of alive, Right? Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, also wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he had this to say about marriage. He said, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. I mean, seriously, that's 1 Corinthians 7 in a nutshell. Paul was like, I mean, you can get married if you want to, but I wouldn't recommend it. Go home and read it this afternoon. I promise you, that's what it says. But God designed marriage, you might say. He did, but he did not design it for our fleeting and fluctuating happiness. He designed it that we might be made holy and that he might be glorified. Marriage is not about what the American church has made it out to be. It's not the ultimate goal of life. It's not about fuzzy feelings of warmth and affection. It's not about fulfilling all of your romantic dreams. Too many of our marriages have become idols, and that's where we have gone disastrously wrong. You see, an idol is typically a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. So hear me loud and clear. Marriage is a good thing. God said so back in Genesis 1 and 2. But if it becomes for us our one thing, our reason for living, our means to an end, again, usually like blissful happiness, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. When we hit those troubles that Paul warns us about, if our marriages are our idols, our worlds are rocked and everything starts to fall apart. That is why this is such a helpful visual aid 
and understanding how and why God designed Christian marriage like he did. When two people get married with this in mind, it is a beautiful thing, a profound mystery in Paul's words. If you're a wife and Jesus is your one thing and you submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ, God is glorified. If you're a husband and Jesus is your one thing and you love your wife as Christ loves the church, God is glorified. And when both of those things are happening in tandem, when each person plays the role he or she was designed to play, then you end up walking hand in hand, not with each other, but with the Holy Spirit. Together you walk down that path of sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus every day. You'll become more and more holy. That is God's design. And when we follow it, he is glorified. But do you see how all of that is also for our personal good and for the good of our marriages? Do you see how if we make it our chief end to draw nearer to Christ, we'll actually draw closer to each other? It's sheer geometry. As husbands and wives, it's truly the greatest gift we can give one another and the greatest way to have marriages that are fulfilling. When pursuing Jesus with everything we've got is our ultimate goal, our one thing, then And only then will we be truly happy, united with each other and glorifying God alone. Church, I guarantee until we get to the place where Jesus alone is our one thing, no matter how big or small the troubles that Paul talks about come our way, our lives, our marriages, our families will be rocked. We won't be united and we will not be able to stand as one against all the things that are going to come against us in this life. Who would have ever imagined that when two people get married and they choose to live according to God's design, it puts them in step with his will and they are then filled with his spirit. And out of that, a compelling and beautiful picture of unity emerges that reflects Christ's relationship with the church. That is what marriage is all about. The more we understand this, the easier it is to understand why Paul called it a profound mystery. This unity thing, it is a big, big deal in the kingdom of God. Right before he was crucified, Jesus prayed for all those who would one day believe in him. In other words, he was praying for each and every one of us in this room. And this is how he prayed, that all of them, that all of us, May be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When two born-again people a brother and sister in Christ, get married. Their marriage isn't about their happiness or their dreams. It is about being a living, breathing, tangible picture of God's master plan to unite all things in Christ through the church for God's glory alone. 
Okay, so we're going to actually employ Paul's tactic here for a second. If you've been here listening to David, you remember how Paul, I mean, he, Paul just keeps doing this, right? Like getting whiplash, talking about church and marriage, marriage, church. Like he just goes back and forth. So we're going to do that. All right, so I want you to lay marriage aside for the time being. So look around and see all the people who are here this morning. Maybe they're joining us online. Uh, think about all the people worshiping all over this county, the state, the country, and the world, right? God's invisible church. God is at work, always, uniting all of us in Christ. But if we are all focused on each other and what we can get out of the church, what we can get out of these horizontal relationships, then we are actually acting in conflict with God's will. No, as, as God's adopted children, we keep our eyes on Christ. We throw our entire selves into fostering and investing in our relationship with Him. We submit to Him. We obey Him. We glorify Him alone. And when we do that, we're filled with His Spirit. We progress down that path of sanctification, growing in holiness. And when that is true for each and every one of us, guess what? I mean, do you see how it's utterly inevitable then that our relationships with one another are going to be united as well? Because we're all getting after the same one thing. We all want and love Jesus most. Okay, so let's do the thing Paul does. Put the church to the side for a second. Think about marriage. What we just talked about with the church, that's how marriage is designed too. If we keep our focus right here on ourselves or even on each other, what we can get out of it and on our fleeting happiness or comfort, it'll lead to misery at best, disaster at worst. Because we are all, like, we're all way too selfish and self-absorbed. But when we put our eyes on Christ, when he is our one thing, everything changes. When we live according to God's design, it puts us in step with his will, and we are filled with his spirit, united, one in Christ for God's glory alone. That's a marriage made in heaven. However, I know this morning that there are some marriages in this room that don't reflect that right now. Every single marriage represented here is unique. Every single one comes with its own unique challenges. Every single one has its own pain and heartache to one degree or another. And we never ever want to dismiss that or take it lightly. Marriage is really, really hard. Many of you have come to David and me for counsel and support, and we will absolutely continue to make ourselves available. But the greatest gift you have available to you is this repentance and forgiveness on repeat. Decide today to start over, not with someone else, not with someone else, <laughs> but decide today to start over, but start here on your knees, broken over your sin, broken over a marriage that isn't reflecting God's design. Pursue Jesus with everything you've got. 
Begin giving and receiving forgiveness. And together, begin learning day by day how to be married God's way. God can heal and restore anything he wants to. He is ready to restore our marriages, but it won't happen if we don't submit to his design. It won't be fixed overnight, and it's probably not going to be easy, but it'll be good because everything God designs is good, and it's always for his glory. But what if there's someone in this room who wants that? I want that, right? But their spouse doesn't. What if your spouse isn't walking out marriage according to God's design? Maybe he or she isn't even a believer with no desire to obey God whatsoever. Wives, what if you feel like your submission is being forced or taken advantage of? Husbands, what if your wives are fighting you at every turn and she's not terribly lovable? Well, with God's help, wives... With God's help, husbands, you pursue Jesus with everything you've got. Make him your one thing, and you stay in that marriage. More than that, you choose to fulfill the role that God has designed for you. Again, I am not suggesting that it's easy. Sometimes it's going to feel pretty darn lonely, but you stick it out. And you don't stay in your marriage for you or your spouse or your kids. You do it for Jesus. God's word is clear. He has laid out the design. So you've got to resolve with God's help to do your part, to play your role. What your spouse does is on them. That's between them and God. But you made a covenant. You made a covenant before God and your friends and your family, and you've got to keep it for Christ's sake and for God's glory. Well, what if you're divorced? Divorce leaves a lot of scars, and a ton of heartache. And often when we come to passages like this, it, we could get buried under a tremendous weight of guilt and regret and shame. This is not God's desire for you. There is not one single person in this room who doesn't have regret. There isn't one of us who can look back over the course of our lives without wishing that we could undo anything we've said or done at times, right? But we can't. None of us can go back and change what was, but we can embrace what has been made available to us in Christ right now. Repentance and forgiveness. It always comes back to this. On our knees, at the foot of the cross, broken over our sin, and longing for God's redemption and restoration in every area of our hearts and lives. Pursue Christ with everything you've got. When we embrace, for God's sake, the gifts of repentance and forgiveness, resurrection and power, uh, resurrection power and joy well up within us, and we are strengthened to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, for God's glory alone. And that is what spirit-filled living is all about in the church and in marriage. So typically I would close with prayer, and we're still going to do that, but I want you to close with prayer. Um, we're going to leave this slide up, and so you're welcome to pray with your eyes open. That's okay. That, it still counts.
Um, but these past six weeks in this, in this passage have hopefully been for you, as they've been for me, challenging, uh, encouraging, convicting, all of those things. Um, but as we've considered this profound thing called marriage, I hope that it has opened our eyes to this profound mystery of the church. And so I want to encourage you to pray for marriages, certainly yours if applicable, for the marriages of those around you, that we might all live according to God's design, but ultimately that we might be united in Christ as a church for God's glory alone. Together, let's pray, let's ask and seek and and, and knock for God to do what only he can do as we respond in obedience to what he's called us to do for Christ's sake. Let's pray. 